This is I Speak the System with Jimmy Cliche, Chapter 21, Froshmore Year, Uncle Bob Ross. When I didn't get into Phoenix House, I was mad. Like, fuck them. I'll show them and get sober on my own. And I did. I started school the very next day, and that was my first day of sobriety. I was a froshmore, which was a combination of freshman and sophomore, since I hadn't completed the majority of my freshman requirements. I was also repeating freshman English, even though I passed with a B, because I wanted to take honors English, and they wouldn't put me in sophomore honors English, having not taken it as a freshman, so I asked to to repeat freshman English as an honors class. I had no plans of living to graduate, and I knew that my friends, that my friends, and I knew from my friends that the honors classes were far more interesting. I even attended a few of them freshman year while I was skipping my own classes, and I sometimes even did their homework assignments for fun. My freshman English class was the college prep level, which was one level down from honors, but it was an entirely different experience, and it was boring. Froshmore year, I had a teacher named Mr. Owl, who was married to my eighth grade teacher, my eighth grade English teacher, Mrs. Owl. I was most excited about English class, but acting with Mr. Bunker, which my friends Alan and Randy from drama class, I was most excited about, sorry, all right. I was most excited about English class, but also acting with Mr. Bunker, which my friends Alan and Randy from drama class were both in. I'd grown up with Randy, who was the nephew of a powerful politician, and his jerk of a twin brother who used to call me fat, even though I wasn't even remotely fat at the time. Randy was awesome, though. He did stand-up comedy and snowboarding, and he had dirty blonde hair with that shaggy 90s haircut all the young actors had back then. He was also the assistant director of Scapino, and he was even even part of the one-act play I wrote about addiction in 8th grade science class. I'd only known Alan for a few years, but we were good friends too. He was a freshman and had gone to the other middle school. He had a similar hair. He had similar hair as Randy, but different features, and and he kind of looked like my, and different features that kind of looked like mine. We used to tell people we were twins and that our parents were divorced. We said he repeated kindergarten because he couldn't cut with scissors or some shit. It became part of the letters to my pen pals. I actually named my fake twin brother after Alan from drama class because we told people we were twins once back when we first met, when I was in eighth grade. We said that Bob Ross was our uncle. We did improv in drama class together, and we liked to keep it going in the real world. We got a little carried away letting other people into our family, including Noelle, who looked absolutely nothing like us. I think we said she was an adopted triplet. Randy, Allen, and I would sit in the back of the lecture hall where acting class was. When the other students were doing their scenes on stage, the three of us would sit in the back just messing around being wise asses. Sometimes there was another girl with us too. I felt very comfortable with the boys like they were my brothers, and I felt like they treated me as if I were their brother too, at least in that they didn't treat me any differently than they treated one another. Even though I was expected to 
make up most of my required classes, I managed to make a deal to get out of gym class again that year. I wasn't lazy. I walked around and rode my bike miles every day, but I was body shamed in gym class every single time since I every time every time I went since I was 8 years old, which is why I didn't like going. <coughs> the cl- the school had a class for kids with down syndrome and severe learning disabilities called SEAM, and I volunteered to help out with their class instead of going to gym. A lot of the SEAM kids were in their late teens and early 20s. I didn't have much experience with disabilities like that growing up. I had a third cousin with Down syndrome, but I didn't really know him. One of my friend's younger sisters had a brain injury, so I had experience with her from when I used to hang out at their house, and her sister seemed to love me. I was gentle and patient and encouraging most of the time, and I I was the same way with the kids at school I volunteered with. I always looked forward to that class, the one place I felt safe and loved in school, like I was looked up to and valued. I was still doing drama and youth group, and I'd been asked to join the liter- the, the school magazine literary board, which was a big deal. The people on the board considered themselves to be the writing experts of the school. I found out how harshly they criticized the majority of the submissions. Most were tossed into the trash while being called literary diarrhea. Very little ever got approved. It made me realize that they honestly respected me as a writer to accept three of my poems freshman year and then invite me into the literary board when I was failing school. I noticed how everyone clapped enthusiastically when I read my poetry at the coffee houses. I was, it was still hard for me to process that I might not suck at everything, though. The way most people talked about me, I was a piece of shit, and I felt, and I felt like it. I also started to come out of my fog and realized that I wasn't dying of a liver disease, and yet I told everyone I'd be dead soon. I was beginning to feel suicidal again with no way out of my mess. Just a few weeks into the school year, we got a message over the loudspeaker in homeroom that a popular freshman jock named Theo had hung himself after being hazed by upperclassmen. He was in a coma and his family was asking for prayers. They said that the school had counselors available if we needed to talk. I was kind of depressed about how most kids reacted. I'd been saying I was suicidal for years and no one cared. (coughs) But this kid did this and everyone was acting like they knew everything about depression and suicide and that they'd never let it happen again, but they were full of shit. I went to a few vigils for Theo in town and at my church where he was a member. We lit candles and sang along to Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., but he ended up dying a few weeks later and I was feeling more and more pressure to die soon, too. All my lives were falling apart and Adam and I were having issues, some of which were my own fault, and I felt self-hatred over the fact that I was ruining a relationship with someone I loved more than anyone. I wanted to kill myself on Halloween again, except a few things were stopping me. My sister Natalie was still quite young, and I was her whole world, and my baby cousins were these new lights in my life too. One of them had just come into the world in mid-October. I didn't want my suicide to wreck them. I also didn't want the kids at school thinking that my suicide was a copycat. The idea of them thinking and saying that about me made me feel like I'd continue to be bullied from beyond the grave. No, if I killed myself, I wanted my peers to know that they did this to me.
That's how I felt anyway. I had a lot of anger turned inward that became suicidal depression. I couldn't take my own life knowing I'd be remembered as a copycat. In this way, Theo's death helped save me, and I'm grateful to him. But at the time, I didn't feel like I had any options. By Halloween, things were a disaster. It didn't help matters that so many of my friends had been seniors and were now graduated. It was that same similar feeling where I had less people looking out for me and more classes with kids in my own grade or younger. Some of the girls who bullied me in eighth grade were back on my case, and a gang of boys in town formed calling themselves the Nasty Angels, calling themselves the Nasty Angels, who I mostly made fun of because they were a bunch of white kids from the suburbs, but it was a legit gang that would eventually gain power all over New England and become by becoming the biggest heroin distributors around. Frostmore year, however, they were just getting started, and they often came up to me and threatened to rape me. I was back in AA going to that same young people's meeting I started out at. I think Kenneth from The Brain was taking me and picking me up as a favor. I met an artist named Dade in his early 20s with long hair, a goatee, a biker jacket, and uh, with long hair, a goatee, and a biker jacket who looked like Eddie Vedder. I guess I thought a lot of people looked like Eddie Vedder in the early 90s. I loved watching him draw during the meetings, and I'd talk with him and flirt, but he was never inappropriate towards me. He did offer me a ride home, though, and he played the song Sober by Tool, which was brand new at the time, and I loved it. Tool went along with so much of the other music I was into. Grunge rock and alternative music were at its peak, and it was my whole lifestyle. It had been since before it went mainstream, but of course once it went meant, once it went mainstream, the kids who saw me dressing like them called me a poser. I reached a point where I just laughed in their faces when they were cruel to me and tried to freak them out even more. I enjoyed shocking them and making them uncomfortable because they were closed-minded square pegs, and some part of me knew that I was the one who was truly alternative. When Halloween came, I reached my limit of bullshit, and I couldn't face another day, but I didn't know what to do. Agnes asked me to go trick-or-treating with her, dressed up as Dr. Seuss-inspired characters. I talked to her all night about wanting to die, and we ended up at our youth group leader Sarah's house, which was right behind the high school. Sarah called the church to ask them to help me, and they told her to have my parents take me to psych to Claymore Psychiatric Hospital the next day.